This is Nick, and you're listening to Bike Talk with Stephen Box. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how you doing, Nick? Good, man. How are you? Good. Had a good week. How about you? Did you what'd you do? Anything interesting? I had. <laughs> I had a uh, the one of. I had an epic week. I think you could say. Did you um, Did you work hard this week? I. Well, yes, I worked very hard for the second half of the week. And even when we were striking, it wasn't just a, a breeze. It's probably know? more work. Yeah. So, uh, Nick, um, today, for those of you that were listening when the um, streaming started, you probably heard some discussion in the um, studio here. But today we're joined by, um, in the studio by Lucas Schroeder, who's a uh, senior at Hollywood High School. And um, this is the month of activism for Lucas. And he's going to kick it off by uh, by joining us here in, in Bike Talk. And um, we'll talk to Lucas in a little bit about what he hopes to accomplish this month. Um, yeah. And, uh, and how we can uh, join him on this journey. Yeah, and Dude. I think it's cool that um, I know at your school, Nick, uh, uh, you have a bike club, and I, yeah, yes, we do. Yes, and I, I think do. it's um, you know we had John Jones the third here, and uh, with his bike club, Carlos Morales over in uh, Azusa now has a bike club, but I think it's cool that uh, cyclists are organizing not just to have fun rides and there's nothing wrong with fun rides um but cyclists are also organizing to um advocate for improving the quality of life in their communities so that uh it's safer to ride Mm -hmm. it's more fun to ride um and that so that riding is more uh, more of an efficient and effective mode of transportation so that's kind of cool i have um been on the road of late with the uh, Mobility Bill of Rights. Last night I was at the uh, L.A. County um, Bicycle Coalition Westside Ambassadors. How's that for a acronym? <laughs> and um, so uh, lots of fun folks from uh, from UCLA as well as the neighborhoods around um, talking about uh, opportunities to improve um, cycling whether it's through uh, engineering, um, organization, um, law enforcement, you know, traffic design, um, lots of solutions uh, on the table. And so I was there with the Mobility Bill of Rights, as well as um, some specifics on some ideas uh, to get involved. And of course, there was I was there to put out a call for uh, neighborhood councils, which is Something I do everywhere I go is to point out that uh, one of the greatest ways to get involved is to get involved and to actually move beyond public comment and become part of whatever group that you're appealing to. And if we could get cyclists on, you know, all 99 of the uh, neighborhood councils and Mm -hmm. then organize in such a way that if a cyclist in in a community had an issue that we actually mobilized it and supported that particular um, person. As su- it, hmm? Everybody would support each other when right. they have initiatives. So if there's an initiative on Sunset Boulevard, then we would work together and use that as an opportunity to come from around the city to support, um, whether it's reaching out to businesses and homeowners associations and neighborhood uh, groups, whether it was... Um, you know, strategizing and um, looking for opportunities to engage the policymakers with the activists and the neighborhood council. So whatever the um, opportunity is that we work together, as opposed to, um, I think somebody at one time said, you know, um, L.A. is like 100 neighborhoods in search of a city, you know, that it's so Hmm. big that it's somewhat disconnected. And I think that in many ways it's a small town um, you know, we were walking down the sidewalk today and we bumped into a guy from Solana Beach that had just seen 
something we were doing about neighbor like in many ways it's a small town we bump into people all the time mm-hmm. at the same time it's kind of it feels anonymous you know if you're in the on the west side sitting on a neighborhood council all by yourself and a curb cut comes up and everybody's opposed to it you know and you feel lonely because there's no one in the room to support you and you know you're just going to end up getting a barrage of flack for whatever the position is it's a shame that we don't have a more robust mechanism for um, engaging supporters or um, you know cyclists uh, or active transportation advocates on the issues so that we can speak intelligently coherently and communicate that um, you know um, our streets should work for everybody yeah so so, so you're going around and are you the mechanism well um, I am you know uh, visiting different organizations I was at Caltrans uh, did I mention this last week but I, yeah I oh. think, but you may, but yeah. why, why not again? Well, I mean, I was at Caltrans, um, the Bicycle uh, Advisory Committee for Caltrans, which is kind of interesting because it's made up of representatives from many, um, you know, the the active transportation coordinator for Ventura was there. There was a woman from um, Orange County. There was a gentleman that came from Riverside County. Um, you know, there's a gentleman from you know, that um, from Pasadena, another one from Acton. It's like there are um, activists from the community. There are um, folks that represent, you know, organizations. You know, Ron Durgan was there from Sustainable Streets, um, from the Bike Center in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also folks that are uh, the engineers that actually design um, the roadways, the bridges, the the infrastructure that, we're talking about. They're the ones that actually build the things. And so it's kind of cool to have them all in the same room to get to talk about, you know, the same granular issue, like what does that curb cut look like at that intersection? Or the larger issue, you know, of California state policy and um, SB 127, which is going to incorporate a whole lot of complete streets um, language into um, our legislative uh, foundation for all that we build. So it's a bit of the granular and a bit of the high altitude and everything in between. The um, and, and, of course, there's neighbor councils and there's other advocacy organizations as well as um, LAPD, Sheriff's Department, Aging Department. So there's lots of opportunities, AARP, AAA. There's lots of opportunities for us to engage partners who also have a vested interest in using uh, the public space. What meeting was this at Caltrans? Caltrans. Caltrans That's Bicycle Advisory Committee. It's open to the public. It takes place every two months. It's over at the Caltrans building, First oh, Maine. Oh, it's the Bicycle Advisory Committee. For Caltrans, District 7, which is Ventura County and L.A. County. So, so it's not to be confused with the BAC. Well, there's the City of L.A. Bicycle Advisory Committee, and that one comes up in um, first week of February. Um, so, you know, uh, when... When we chat with Lucas, I actually have a schedule uh, that I laid out for the month of February, and we can kind of take a, a look at the schedule, which includes the Bicycle Advisory Committee meeting and um, and some other organizations, the Transit Coalition, um, which is made up of uh, advocates, uh, transit advocates, as well as the folks that build the stuff. The last Transit Coalition, you know, the teams that were responsible for the uh, Green Line and the Green Line Extension and so I think that it's important to be a part of the conversation before a billion dollars gets spent, as opposed to waiting to the end and going, hey, it'd be nice to get a bike rack or bike path or a turnstile that actually lets you bring a bike. You know, it's a bit late to wait until they've spent a billion dollars to say, um, does it have to be green? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of what's cool about being at the Transit Coalition and meeting the folks that are actually doing the research and then building so, you know, the um, the the thing that I'm taking to neighborhood councils and advocacy organizations and uh, departments and bureaus, et cetera, today is the uh, Mobility Bill of Rights, but it's actually derivative. Should I? I was going to ring the bell every time you say that. <laughs> say what? Mobility Bill of Rights. Oh. <laughs> so um, the... The Mobility Bill of Rights is actually 
derivative. About 10 years ago, <laughs> about 10 years ago, uh, 11 years maybe, um, you know, the Bike Riders Collective uh, wrote the Cyclist Bill of Rights, and um, it had 12 items in it, but the Cyclist Bill of Rights, you know, was essentially the uh, the document that we used to um, bang away at um, the elements that we thought sh- should be incorporated into the new bike plan that was being developed at the time. And there was an incident on Mandeville Canyon, um, and uh, Dr. Thompson yeah. ended up with two cyclists that were severely injured, and he ended up you know, getting arrested and he ended up being prosecuted and he ended up going to prison for using his vehicle to assault cyclists. And mm-hmm. the next morning, uh, or the, the, the Monday morning, a bill, a council member, Bill Rosendahl stood there, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning with the local police captain and had the cyclist bill of rights in his hand saying, you know, cyclists need a bill of rights. And that was a really significant turning point with regards to um, giving cyclists uh, a little bit more respect in the planning process. The city council ended up adopting the Cyclist Bill of Rights and directing city departments to incorporate these ideals into the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And that was really a massive, uh, significantly massive moment for for um, cycling advocates and activists. And it's a pretty simple Bill of Rights. There's nothing in here that isn't pretty straight up in existence, whether it's in law, moral law, you know, um, transportation law. Do you want to go over it? Well, this is the Cyclist Bill of Rights, but real quick, it's, you know, that uh, cyclists have the right to travel safely and free of fear, equal access to public streets, you know, full support of educated law enforcement, full support of our judicial system, you know, the right to traffic signals, signage, and maintenance that enable and support cycling, uh, the right to be actively engaged as a constituent group, full access for uh, cyclists and the bikes on mass transit with no limitations, um, end-of-right amenities that include safe and secure opportunities to park the bikes, and uh, to be re- free of re- unreasonable search and seizure as guaranteed by the Fourth Amendment, and the the right to peaceably assemble in the public space as guaranteed by the First Amendment. And so... Um, so it's just reminding people of rights. <laughs> it's just putting it out there that this is where we stand, and the fact that you may not have given much thought to it doesn't mean that it's not where we stand. This is where we stand. And so that was the Cyclist Bill of Rights. It had its um, moment. Um, you know, the bike plan as originally presented, the city council was rejected, and the they were directed to uh, come back with a better version, which was a huge significant win for us because we thought it was tepid that it didn't include the ideals that we were fighting for. We were we also had the um, Backbone Bikeway Network, which is a significant commitment to letting, uh, to supporting cyclists who really want to get places they need to go, riding the big streets without being funneled off into a neighborhood street. That the, was, uh, which street is the Backbone? Well, the Backbone Bikeway Network was a map that was part of the bike plan that the uh, bike working group generated and so it was from um, the four corners of the city, literally. But it was a commitment to cyclists not always being directed to take a small little neighborhood street and get off the big boulevards. But seriously, you know Santa Monica Boulevard gets you across town. Mm-hmm. So why would you be directed to take Morning Glory Heights to, you know, to, you know, yeah. to, 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 you know and then take a left turn and then ride through someone's front yard and then cut across the alley? And, you know, and, and that's often what happens when... Um, you know, it's it's like if we could get the cyclists out of traffic as opposed to consider and, and, and remember that every street is a street that the cyclist is going to ride. Now, so this was 10 years ago. And real quick, um, Bob Mionsky, who was, uh, he was an Olympic cyclist, and he's now a lawyer, and he writes on um, cyclists' rights. And um, he wrote an article about the um, Cyclist Bill of Rights including, um, or starting with, uh, you know, when it was presented to the Bicycle Advisory Committee for the City of L.A. in uh, 2008. 
The interesting thing about that night is we got pulled over on the way home by a police officer who had 30 years of experience and proceeded to write a ticket for vehicular cycling, which was interesting. He um, he wrote the ticket, and as he clearly articulated, because we talked back. So we argued with him. He wrote a ticket for talking back? Yeah, he... he um, <laughs> oh. We argued the point. He said, you, you know, you guys uh, shouldn't be writing like that. And we said, actually... We're actually riding uh, safely. It was that motorist that you should have focused on. And uh, he argued that we shouldn't have been riding uh, side-by-side, vehicular style. And um, anyway, to make a long story short, the fact that we argued the point that it was legal uh, prompted him to say, you know, because you're arguing, I'm going to write a ticket. And so my wife said, I'll take the ticket. One of you is going to take the ticket, he said. And and my wife said, "Uh, I'll take the ticket. And he said, no, one of the men is going to take the ticket. And so Mikey took the ticket. Mikey Wally, but he presented the uh, Mikey presented the yeah. uh, Cyclist Bill of Rights that night. Anyway, the Cyclist Bill of Rights went around the world. Um, it was in the uh, Wall Street Journal. It was in the London Telegraph. Went to the Philippines. Groups adopted the Cyclist Bill of Rights. A Harley group uh, modified it huh. for their uh, and said that you know motorcyclists have these same rights. And um, the equestrians in L.A. modified it. Huh. And uh, the fact of the matter is, we're all covered by basic law. We all deserve to travel safely and free of fear. We all have basic guarantees of support. Law enforcement isn't something that is only for certain modes of transportation. We all get the full support of a law enforcement and uh, our judicial system. So anyway, the uh, Cyclist Bill of Rights, you know, um, had its day, it had its impact, and I didn't think much about it for some time. And then recently... Um, the conversation has come up again. This time round, we modified the uh, Cyclists' Bill of Rights, and instead of uh, focusing specifically on foc- on uh, cyclists, we uh, are now taking the Mobility Bill of Rights uh, on the road. And so, um, before I dig into the Mobility Bill of Rights, and we're going we're to take the Mobility Bill of Rights this coming month, um, Lucas has left. Lucas, he's going to ring a bell every time we say Lucas. Really? That's going to be a lot. <laughs> but Lucas has left um, the mission control side of the uh, studio. With yes, lot. you are now live with Lucas. So I'm live with Lucas Schroeder of Hollywood High. So I'm going to um, pause on the Mobility Bill of Rights and chat with Lucas just for a moment because, <coughs> interestingly enough, um, he has set out to um, to accomplish something. I guess it's a senior project. Yes. And that's how our paths have crossed here at Bike Talk and the Mobility Bill of Rights and uh, Hollywood High. So, Lucas, thanks for joining us here at Bike Talk with Nick Richard. You're welcome. And uh, so you're a senior at Hollywood High School, Hollywood High, and uh, which is a uh, pretty significant uh, high school with a lot of history. It is. And what kind of bike do you ride? Uh, fixed gear. Yeah. And so, do you take more Instagram photo photos of your bike or of your dinner? Neither. <laughs> I, I ride my bike. <laughs> It's not for Instagramming? No. Okay. Um, so you have a senior assignment or a senior project? Is a that senior right? project, yes. Okay. Does every senior have, uh, have yes. to come up with something? Yeah. What type of uh, projects are folks coming up with? Um, some people are doing it on obesity, the school system. Um, it's really just any issue that affects the community. That's what you have to do it about. Well, you know, I've always said that folks that ride bikes are smarter. Well, I think that's there's a, there's a lot of science behind that. Because you'll end up becoming a lawyer. Oh, and you'll start arguing. Oh, twenty one eight hundred says that I don't have to wait for this signal because it doesn't work. Right. And uh, so you'll end up learning a lot of law because you'll end up arguing with a lot of folks about. Yeah. You'll also um, you'll also end up with. Um, Incredible debating and communication skills because you'll have to explain why your bike is a better choice than someone who doesn't ride a fixie. 
Oh yeah, just or <laughs> just the physics. Just people with derailers. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. I can't believe you bought a derailleur. It's with like being you. a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's then you know, there's, there's science, there's um, law, there's environmental issues, there's communication issues. Anyway, uh, there's social issues. So um, so you picked uh, for your project. What'd you pick? I picked uh, like cycling, like trying to make cycling more accessible and safer for people in Los Angeles. Great. And what part of LA do you live in? Um, like mid city Hollywood. Okay. In between that area. Excellent. I think that you would be uh, council member Rue. I think you're in council district four. Um, and council member Rue, I think he might be on the transportation committee for the city council. Um, we'll dig into the details and find out uh, who your council member is, and and um, but I think it'd be cool, you know, if you could meet your council member too and make your pitch, whatever your pitch ends up being, with regards to making it safer. There's not much traffic in your neighborhood. You live in a kind of a quiet neighborhood, right? Um, it depends. <laughs> if it's past six and you're going down Fairfax, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what's your favorite route to uh, Hollywood High? Going up Fairfax. Yeah. Yeah. And then down Sunset. So um, so you're uh, what they would call a uh, vehicular cyclist. Yes. Um, so do you have any idea of what you'd like to accomplish in the next month? Um, I kind of, at first I kind of just wanted to explain what it would take to get more cyclists on the road. Mm-hmm. But now that you've gave me all these opportunities it's kind of changed so um speaking of those opportunities i guess the first thing we'll be doing for uh bike talk is uh you're going to be taking the next four you're going to be um working the booth for the next four bike talks and perhaps hosting uh, a bike talk as your uh the final element of your school project. Don't know what the topic's going to be. You'll, I guess you'll come up with that over the next four weeks. Or who your guests are going to be. We invited uh, another council member tonight. We bumped into him on the downtown, and we invited him to uh, bike talk. But, uh, you know, you c- that's up to you to decide what you'd like to see happen with bike talk. But I think bike talk is an essential element for bike activism. Bike activists that do things in the quiet with... N- no way of communicating really don't it doesn't resonate yeah and i think that bike talk has given a lot of bike activists uh the opportunity to engage other people in what they're doing or to solicit support feedback suggestions ideas but you know the conversation i think is an integral um element for you know successful bike activism so over the next uh month we're going to be um here with Nick on Friday nights, and um, mm-hmm. and you'll be mastering the booth, and then uh, also and then and then also setting up the last show of February. I think it's February. No, it's February first, uh, March first, actually. Is that right? Yeah, it's March first. Will be your show. Um, the other thing is uh, we're going to be visiting some neighborhood councils. I think Monday, uh, February fourth is receipt of neighborhood council, and um, then um, Monday the eleventh is the NoHo neighborhood council, and Thursday the fourteenth is Delray neighborhood council, and we're going to be in South LA on Tuesday the nineteenth at South Central neighborhood council, and then again on Wednesday the twentieth at Zapata King neighborhood council. We'll be in the Valley on Thursday the 21st at the North Hills West Neighborhood Council and um, th- Tuesday the 26th at the Echo Park Neighborhood Council. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven neighborhood councils over the next uh, month. And we're also going to be at some advocacy groups on uh, Tuesday the 5th. We'll be at the um, L.A. Bicycle Advisory Committee. Um City of LA is interesting. It's got commissions for every department. It's got committees, you know, city council committees for 
many topics as you can think of. And it's got um, advisory groups on all sorts of things from urban forestry to pedestrian advisory to bicycle advisory. So we'll be uh, visiting the Bicycle Advisory Committee. And then we'll also be going to some um, some city events such as the uh, Transportation Commission, which is made up of people appointed by the uh, mayor and the city council members. And they sit on a commission that um, is a partner to the Department of Transportation. And uh, we might be able to uh, pick up the Transportation Committee. They meet in the daytime, so you'll be... Uh, it looks like it'd be an opportunity for you to take a day off from school. Um, those are the two daytime events. And the uh, other thing is at the end of the month, the 25th and the 27th, we're going to be going to the Los Angeles County uh, Bicycle Coalition. And uh, they have a group on the west side and a group um, in the valley. They also have a group downtown, but I think we're going to have a conflict there. So is, is, can I just, is yeah. this your regular schedule? Yeah. I mean, not these specifics. There's 99 neighborhood councils. Um, but in the month of February, these are the ones that kind of worked out. Like on some of these nights, there's five or six neighborhood councils meeting. And so it's kind of, it takes a while to work your way through. But for Lucas's purposes, um, you what, know, what, I'm sorry, what, is, this a, is this on your... Uh, on which hat are you wearing when you go to these city councils? Are you are you are you Stephen Box the the citizen, the private citizen? Or well, when I'm with the Mobility Bill of Rights, yeah, I'm Stephen okay. Box the citizen. When, when I go to uh, organizations, for example, um, I'm going to be spending Saturday with the Green Party uh, in, in two weeks, and I'm going to be mm-hmm. Stephen Box uh, with uh, Department of Neighbor and Empowerment, and I'm going to be looking for candidates. Wow. And so when I go to you know Transit Coalition. Um, you know, sometimes I have to swap hats, I suppose, but I'm always on the lookout for neighborhood council board members. I mean, Nick, you're not getting out of here without <laughs> signing up as a uh, board member for your neighborhood council. And Lucas, you know, I just haven't made the pitch yet, but seriously, I'm going to sign you up as a candidate for... Can he? Yeah, neighborhood councils um, all have their own board structure, and some have a youth seat. Some are just anyone, you know, 16 and over is eligible. Um, some have a specific – there's one neighborhood council that's 14 and over. Neighborhood councils all have their own board structure with their own um, minimum ages. And so, uh, so, so Lucas, you know, just want to warn you, here it comes. But as far as the month, what I had thought is that um, if it's your objective, Lucas, to figure out how to change the world and make L.A. a better place to ride a bike – and you want to support folks. You know, there's many ways to do that, and so it would be cool for you to meet some people because you'll, you'll get some great ideas. And um, if at the end of the month, you know, you come out of it as a stronger activist that's able to um, pick a project and then engage folks in, the, in that project and then lay down a strategy for making it come, uh, you know, making it, you know, come to life, then that's, I think, the essence of activism for all of us and so I think it's going to be a great month for us to be talking about this journey on Bike Talk because one of the things we're going to be doing is um, it's called a uh, campaign planning blueprint. And it's essentially laying out the st- seven steps of a successful campaign, whatever the campaign is. And if the campaign was just to get better bike parking, you know, on Beverly. Yeah. So that it's – by the way, you know, I, I – Alex Thompson set me up with this long-haul – uh, um, with a, with the um, Surly Long Haul Trucker, right? And uh, I had to go to Biker Wave to um, put it together. And You still have that? Yeah. I, I love that bike. Mm-hmm. So I rode to the Grove, and I parked it outside the security shack. Like, if there's one place you'd think would be safe, would you it locked be? locked it? Or you yeah, I locked it up, uh-huh. and someone stole my saddle. Oh yeah, hmm. from the gr- I'm, I, it was it, it was at night. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was. I I felt uh, violated. Yeah, I felt violated. Not only that, it is a little harder to ride home <laughs> with no saddle. I mean, I I never really thought about it because I just so never bad. really did it. But it was like, 
wow, this is like really not, not a good ride. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, because keep in mind, sometimes some of our initiatives have been something as granular as I just like b- better bike parking in my building. Or, you know, because people can't ride their bike if their bike's not safe. People can't ride their bike if their bike's not there. People can't ride their bike if their bike gets stripped. And I've had my bike stripped, you know, in, in many occasions. So sometimes it's something like that. Sometimes it might be some in- infrastructure on the streets. I know that there's, um, everyone has a secret route, um, you know, uh, across town. Everyone has a, uh, um, you know, if, if they're traveling alone, they yeah. might like this route. If they're traveling with others, they might t- like to take this route because we can ride side by side because they're quieter streets. And the list goes on. But whatever there is in your neighborhood that you think might be a great place to start with regards to a pilot project, um, whatever your, your objective is, the, 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 the steps are the same. Like you've got to get clear on what you want. You've got to come up with your messaging so that you can pitch people. And um, you've got to come up with you know a way to evaluate what your resources are. You may not have any money, so you don't have a budget to fight over, but you should have some resources such as does anyone in your uh, immediate circle of influence have any graphic skills so that you can make flyers or do presentations? Does anybody in your um, family have any special effects skills <laughs> so you can make a great video? I mean, you know, like look at the look for the skills that you the skills and strengths and assets that you have, and then figure out how can you use those. And if you have you know friends that have some you know musical skills, perhaps doing some live events or some fun events. Fun is always a great way to engage folks. People don't look for opportunities to work harder. They look for opportunities to have more fun. And life should be fun. And, you know, so look for friends in your circle of influence that can put the fun back into the uh, into activism. Um, you know, Nick and I were talking about this with regards to education because everyone's talking education these days. Like, you know, we both have these experiences of where life uh, education was fun for us. Mm-hmm. We never thought of it as education. We thought of it as fun. And uh, and so I hope you have a fun month this month. Um, so we're going to be working on communications. We're going to be working on message. We're going to be working on action. And we're going to be working on access, like figuring out who's got what you want and how to, how to get to them and uh, how to engage folks. So uh, what do you think, Lucas? Are we in? I think so. <laughs> um, so the uh, the campaign planning blueprint, uh, we can talk about that later. But um, as for today, the Mobility Bill of Rights, do you want to chat about that, Nick? Do uh, chat? Yeah, let's chat. Okay. So the Mobility Bill of Rights is derivative. Did you just change cyclists to people? Yeah, I just crossed out cyclists and wrote mobility. Got it. Oh, is uh, that okay? Yeah. No, I. But <laughs> wasn't it? Isn't it people though? Really? Where everywhere it said cyclists. You oh yeah. Would have changed. Well, it. no, actually, there's a there's a, a few more changes. It's it's derivative. By the way. Anyway, so yes, there's a few things that change. Uh, okay, the cyclist bill of rights was specific to cycling. I mean, it it mentions first and last mile because cycling. We wanted to position it as an integral element to, um, you know, to transit development. The Mobility Bill of Rights is loosened up a tad, but it really parallels the uh, the general gestalt of support for active transportation. And so, yes, active transportation is pedestrians and cyclists as far as safe streets or complete streets or SB 127, you know, the legislation that's coming down with regard to supporting it's defined now as active transportation. So at Caltrans, there's an active transportation department. At the Department of Transportation, there's mm-hmm. an active transportation department. And essentially, if you design streets that are good for pedestrians and cyclists, they're good for everybody. If you design streets that are good for children and the elderly, they're good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And we've always made this case that what's good for cyclists is good for everybody. It's good for business. It's good for motorists, it's good for pedestrians, it's good for everybody, it's good for transit users. So we um, we took the Cyclist Bill of Rights and we did modify it. Um, it has 10 items, and if you don't mind, I'll just go through them. And then perhaps we could talk about some of the objections or questions that have come up and uh, and then respond to them. But the Mobility Bill of Rights starts off by saying, whereas active transportation 
includes a range of transportation modes of travel and the public's right to use those modes is formally articulated and supported in the California Vehicle Code. And right there, a whole lot of folks are kind of surprised that the California Vehicle Code actually supports active transportation. Mm -hmm. But it's good to get it out there that we're not asking for something that we don't have the right to do. Seriously, we all have the right to cross the street. And we have the right to walk or ride a bike. And it's not, streets aren't uh, designed for motorists only. They're designed for all modes of transportation, and that's something that's articulated and supported in the California Vehicle Code. Second item is whereas pedestrians and cyclists are considered to be the indicator species of a healthy community. Now, this is uh, a claim that we make based on the science of healthy communities. And so the folks that study healthy communities now have walkability scores, rideability scores, and they look at healthy communities and they say, if you can see children crossing the street, or elderly crossing the street, you've got a safe and healthy community. If you see people afraid to cross the street, if you see that there's uh, people that are afraid to ride their bikes, if you see people approaching the street with fear, it's not a healthy community. And by not a healthy community, it's not healthy for many reasons, not just the environment, not just the air, not just... But the fact of the matter is the the, the most significant threat to children in the city of L.A. today, number one cause of death is traffic violence. So... By healthy community, I mean one where we're not running over people on the streets. Uh, Whereas communities that embrace the full range of transportation options demonstrate a commitment to environmental equity and traffic congestion solutions. And um, the next one is, whereas all those who travel on the sidewalks and streets are first and foremost people, deserving of the full support of our elected, appointed departments, commissions, agencies and authorities as they conduct their lives in the public space. You know, our mo- one of our most significant assets in terms of public space is our streets. We don't treat them as assets. We treat them as traffic sewers. We don't treat them as um, zippers that bring communities together. We allow them to divide communities so that they have the, we have these non-crossable chasms of, you know, of danger. Um, death, keeping people from one side of the street uh, from crossing to the other. But the thing is about, um, the thing that's interesting about transportation or, or, or our streets is I think we become anonymous quickly. And I think the first, you know, one of the first things we have to remember is that we're all people and we all want to get home safely mm-hmm. and free of fear. And so now, therefore, we, the active transportation community, do hereby claim the following rights. Number one, people have the right to travel safely and free of fear. People have the right to fair access. That's number two. Number three, people have the right to the full support of educated law enforcement. This one uh, received some objection um, because it was perceived as being an insult to say that law enforcement should be educated. I've never met anybody that has argued that law enforcement shouldn't be educated, but they thought it was an insult. Hmm. But it's important that we get this out there that nobody knows all of the law. Lawyers don't. They specialize or they know where to find it. And the cheat sheets that are given to uh, law enforcement need to be updated so that they're actually reflective of the fact that we have a community commitment to pedestrians, cyclists, mass transit, folks on all modes, folks of all capabilities, folks of all vulnerabilities using our streets. And as long as law enforcement is committed to defining traffic as the movement of vehicles, then we really do need to double down on number three, which is we do have the right to the full support of educated law enforcement. Number four is people have the right to the full support of our judicial system. And I think what's interesting here is um, getting a ticket is a big hassle. Fighting it is a big hassle. But winning is absolutely, absolutely essential in terms of d- changing the current environment that we all uh, cro- you know, walk, ride, use mass transit, or, or operate a motor vehicle, like, is to um, change the, the, the enforcement through the judicial system. And some of the great examples are, um, you know, Pasadena, you know, was going to actually write uh, some legislation that was in conflict with state law. 
Los Altos did the same thing. Um, L.A. Sheriff's in Malibu. And so tickets are being written that demonstrate that there we don't have the full support of an educated law enforcement. But the judicial system is where we win the battle. You know, flipping those tickets and establishing a precedent so that we can actually use that and hold that up as this is how you cross a street. This is how you ride on a bike on a street. Um, number five is people have the right to routine accommodations in all roadway projects. The term routine accommodations um, throws people, but essentially routine accommodations is uh, the basic standard for, for roadway projects. You know, what's the basic? What's the minimum? What's the essential elements? And you know, oftentimes a lot of these projects go through, and it feels like at the end of the day they say, now what would happen if we had pedestrians and cyclists? Where would we stick them? And so it's essential that we're in the mix from the beginning uh, as part of the routine accommodations. And so number six is somewhat redundant, but we have the right to the full consideration in all roadway developments. Number seven is the right to effective signage, sig- signals, and maintenance standards. You know what's interesting about uh, street signs? If you want to know where pedestrians stand on the street, look at the signs, and you'll see that they face motorists. So we don't put street signs on all uh four corners, we, we put them, um, you know, with the street identities, like downtown LA, you'll see the street identities are there for motorists. But as a pedestrian, you have to look around to see if you can find the sign. Hmm. And they're positioned not for the support of pedestrians, but for the support of motorists. And so as some, that's like a little, uh, what's, that's the brown M&M. That's just a way to see if uh, when this street was designed, were they expecting anyone, anyone else. Signals is another one. You know, do motorists have to get out of the car and push a button in order to cross the street? No, but a pedestrian does. They have to walk a few feet over and push a button and wait a cycle. Why isn't it automatic that a presumption that pedestrians are going to use this? And if you get it there at the wrong time, some cities have an, it'll actually uh, trip mid-cycle. Others, you have to wait a complete cycle, like in L.A. So signage signals and then maintenance standards. You ever ride a bike um, in the, uh, to the right? Yeah, it's where all the debris goes. You know, so are we... Are we maintaining the streets in such a way that they actually work for cyclists as well as um, motorists? And um, simple and yet significant. People have the right to be actively engaged as a constituent group. And I think that a lot of the things that are done are done as if it would be, as as if it's a secret. Uh, And so it would be nice that uh, the community was activated and engaged and empowered to participate in whatever is taking place. And so... I've yet to meet anybody that says, no, we don't have the right to be engaged as a constituent group. Nobody should ever ask me my opinion or give me the right to speak. Like, I've yet to meet that person, and yet we've got departments and and um, agencies that act as if we aren't a constituent group. And then uh, number nine is people have the right to roadway planning-based science, data, industry, innovations, and emerging technologies. If you've ever seen uh, um, cyclists under 21800 don't have to... If the traffic signal doesn't recognize them, they don't have to wait. They can just cross the street. They stop, they look both ways, and then they cross the street, even if it's against a red. Because by state law, traffic signals are supposed to respond to the presence of a cyclist. And yet, we know they don't work. And you'll see the cutouts that um, the ring... Well, I'm sorry, do we have the right to do what now? Okay, 21800 says that um, if the traffic signal doesn't recognize you... So if you ride up to an intersection mm-hmm. and you put your bike right in the center of that little ring that's cut into the street, that's meant to detect the presence of someone who wants to cross the street. It'll trigger. So these are typically on side streets. So um, you know, For cars? F- no, just for, for s- cyclists and cars. Okay. Now, they set the sensitivity so that it doesn't um, so that it recognizes vehicles, they su- and it's supposed to be set sensitive enough that it would recognize a cyclist. Mm-hmm. But the danger is, in their minds, in the, in the traffic engineers' minds, they don't want, they don't want false signals. Hmm. They don't want the cycling to take place when there's no one there. So they say. Don't know who they are, but um, you know I hear this one periodically. That's how they set them. The bottom line is that the. Um, the innovations and the tech, emerging technologies for traffic signals, we shouldn't be cutting the asphalt and then putting down old technology when there's much more effective 
technology, for example, you know, video detection. The thing is, that's just a commitment to doing something when we could just leave it the way it is and not do anything. And so number nine is that we really do want uh, our roadway planning based on science data, industry innovations, and emerging technologies. The status quo doesn't work. First day back to school, a child was hit in South L.A. on their way back to school. Uh, This past, uh, I guess it was Wednesday, right? Wednesday was the first day back? Tuesday. Tuesday? Tuesday. So Tuesday was the first day back to school after the strike. And a child gets hit on the way to school. Like, so we we know that what we're doing is not working. Wait, wait, wait. Was it Tuesday? Were we back on Tuesday? Yes. Okay. (coughs) And this was uh, killed, this kid? No. Okay. We'll recover. We'll... The child will recover Mm -hmm. if getting hit by a car and then not dying means that you recover, you know, physically, you know, yes. But back to number one, people have the right to travel safely and free of fear. You think that child's going to be traveling free of fear? Can't cross the street to get to school without getting hit by a car. And so we know that the status quo is not working. So number nine is is uh, that people have the right to roadway planning based on science data industry innovations and emerging technologies why are we still doing old things that don't work and the answer is there's no good answer um, so it's time to change number 10 is that people have the right to be treated fairly and equitably 65 percent of all traffic violence takes place on six percent of the streets of those streets the majority of them of the traffic violence is taking place in neighborhoods that were redlined. People aren't being treated fairly and they're not being treated equitably. And if someone disagrees with me, I'd ask for where's the data that shows that the modes are being treated fairly and equitably? Where's the data that shows that neighborhoods are being treated fairly and equitably? Where's the data that shows that people (laughs) are able to travel safely and free of fear? And it doesn't exist because it's not happening. And so we do have the right to be treated fairly, and it's not happening. And we do have the right to be treated treated equitably, and it's not happening. Can you define redlining? I'm pretty sure I know what it is. There was a time, um, and some would argue that it still happens, but in a different with a different mechanism, where neighborhoods had uh, were redlined. In other words, there was a map and there was a red line, and and um, real estate agents wouldn't sell to specific groups within particular neighborhoods. And so, there was a time that um, when it was a, a very overt form of discrimination, that which resulted in neighborhoods, um, you know, it. it it resulted in uh, the, you know the demographics of specific neighborhoods fast forward to today why would traffic violence be happening more significantly in some neighborhoods than others infrastructure speed. infrastructure enforcement design it could be any of a number of things but the fact of the matter is there was an interesting article in streets blog um this week about the fact that Traffic violence is different for different demographics. How is that possible that particular groups of people are dying in larger numbers than other groups of people? And it's because it's not equitable. It's not fair. It's very specific. It happens in certain neighborhoods and it doesn't happen in others. How is that possible? And don't get me wrong. Our streets are dangerous. Speed kills. You know, so people are... People are um, there's traffic violence in, in all neighborhoods, but it's disproportionate. It's significantly disproportionate. So with, uh, on the whole, I think every street should be a street that a cyclist is safe to ride or a pedestrian is safe to walk. Every street, everywhere. Um, anyway, and so the, this concludes by saying, and further, we claim and assert these rights by embracing the public space of our communities and proclaiming that streets are for people. So that's the Mobility Bill of Rights. Oh. <laughs> Had to turn around. Can you think of any objections that you've heard, Nick? Uh, we were So we were at uh, LANC, LA Neighborhood Council Coalition. Did they say anything? No, no I, it hasn't happened yet at LANC. So, but what are the objections that you've heard? 
I don't think I've heard any objections. One of the objections is people say Bill of Rights. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Uh, these, these would expose us to lawsuits, right? If you start giving people rights, then they can start. Uh, was that, that? That was, I thought I heard that. Well, that's an interesting objection. So you're saying that. No, I'm. Not you. Quoting. This particular argument is claiming that um, people <laughs> claiming the right to travel safely and free of fear is a dangerous thing because it would demonstrate the fact that it's not happening and open us up to liability. The one thing about liability is it exists, period. Whether or not you have a Bill of Rights, this it's this Bill of Rights isn't going to give people the right. California state law is going to give us the right. You know, there are um, there are fundamental uh, laws in place already, and the city of LA is already dealing with the fact that our sidewalks um, are an issue for fact folks that have mobility needs. And so, the notion that this is going to open us up to liability is an interesting acknowledgement of failure because we wouldn't be open to liability unless there was an issue. So it's a straight-up acknowledgement that there's an issue. Now we just have to ex- decide what's an acceptable level of death on our streets. And for, for folks that are saying, oh, my God, we don't want this because it's going to open up to live duty, wants to shift the conversation from what can we do to, to fix things into, oh, my God, we were okay not looking at it until you brought this up, which is their personal perspective, mm-hmm. but not one that we want to embrace in any way, shape, or form as a community. What are some other objectives? Objections, rather. Well, whether something is a right or not. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. You know, um, L.A.'s taxi cab riders have a Bill of Rights. Um, Taxpayers have a Bill of Rights. You go to the hospital, right there, I guarantee you when you're checking in at the emergency room, there's a Bill of Rights for patients. The police have a Bill of Rights. Hmm. Police officers have a Bill of Rights. Um, voters have a Bill of Rights. If you go to the city clerk's office, there's a voter's Bill of Rights. Who did the police get their rights from? They, they wrote them. I mean, but they exist. But but the point is that Bill of Rights, for, for folks like transit riders who have a Bill of Rights, they're typically an aspirational uh, uh, claim to rights that are pretty basic. They're human rights. But they're, they're, they're I mean, as a patient... They're typically mission statements that say, you know, when you come into this hospital, you have the right to know what's going on. Well, I knew that. I knew I had the right to know what's going on. But some folks just need to be reminded, whether it's me reminding others or others reminding me. Um, but, f- you know, so so the the notion of a Bill of Rights is not a strange document. It's only strange if it's at odds with the status quo you'd like to ma- maintain. And that's the argument. Ooh, Bill of Rights. It's like we're the only ones that don't have a Bill of Rights. Lucas probably has a Bill of Rights at Hollywood High. Do you? I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be one of the outcomes of this month is Lucas the activist is going Just to... Just him in particular has his own... A, pr- a single person could have... As a, a student... Of, oh, there's got to be a student Bill of Rights. You know, I know that pediatricians wrote a Bill of Rights for children and also... There were some um, psychologists that wrote a Bill of Rights for children of divorced parents. In other words, it's a powerful tool for very quickly saying, here's 10 to a dozen things that we believe are really important, and we want to start off this conversation by saying, you have the right to get up and leave whenever you want. You have the right to, you know, whatever the conversation consists of. You know, if you think about taxpayers, I don't think taxpayers have ever looked at the IRS and thought, I feel like I'm in a dominant and powerful position. It's like, you know, you get a letter from the IRS. It's like, oh, my God, I'm afraid to open this. Um, but the thing is that you do have a taxpayer's bill of rights. Uh, and when you go to the hospital, that's not a powerful position. You're typically in need, and you're deferring all authority to someone in a lab coat. And the thing is that you are the dominant uh, force there because you're the patient. You're number one. You're the center of the universe. You have a bill of rights. And so it's from that perspective um, that the any objection to the, oh, my goodness, how lofty are these people? They think that they deserve a Bill of Rights. Well, yeah, actually we do. And so um, that objection is just pure arrogance because the fact of the matter is the person that's objecting 
probably has a half a dozen Bill of Rights that apply to them that they've used in some point in time. If they pay their taxes, go to the hospital, ever take a taxi or transit, you know, or engage with the police or whatever the case may be. Anyway, that was one of the objections. What other objections have we had? Those are the two that I could remember. Yeah. I could come up with a stupid objection (laughs) if I give me time. Well, um, the interesting thing about going to neighborhoods uh, with a a mobility bill of rights and seeking their endorsement is that things come up. Um, One person objected and said, as I presented the mobility bill of rights, well, we can't we can't deliberate and, and, and potentially endorse this document because we don't have anybody here to speak in opposition. Now, I think it's way cool that when issues come before a neighbor council, a neighbor council has a commitment to making sure that people from both sides of the argument get to present. Like, if the developer's going to be there, let's notify the neighbors so they can come and speak, you know, and say, well, we want this and they want that and or whatever the issue is. But in this particular case, it's sometimes, I think, just used as an obstacle. And in this particular case, I pointed out that I can search the world over, but I can assure you I've yet to find the person that is opposed to people traveling safely and free of fear. Anyone here opposed to safety? (laughs) And anyone here in favor of death? And so you see... Um, well, there is that one group. <laughs> well, then now we get to pop to the real issues. You're not opposed to safety and free of fear. You're just putting your commitment to getting home quickly over my life. And that's a conversation we need to get out into the open, that you value your efficient um, commute over my life. And now we've got dueling rights, because you think that your right to get home quickly is greater than my right to get home safely. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're going to have to be brutally honest. You're absolutely incorrect. You are not guaranteed a fast commute through someone else's neighborhood at the expense of our children's lives. Right. And and there we're going to we're just going to have to end the con- we're going to stick with this one until we hammer it out. But you're not going to be able to convince this room that you personally, an individual personally has the right to get home quickly. Um, at the expense of the lives of others in the neighborhood. And so we get to talk about cut-through traffic. We get to talk about the local issues specific to that neighborhood. We get to talk about the questions people have with regards to weird terms such as uh, routine accommodations or, um, you know, what are, what are the 17 enhancements for an intersection? Some folks have never heard of some, you know, things like a ped scramble or um, some of the other innovations. I, tonight I was, uh, today I was downtown and um, at a busy intersection by the Union Station, and it's one of those no right turns on red just because of the significance of this, this intersection, of the traffic. And, but the thing is, the pedestrians are still, like, just it's just free-range pedestrians. It, rather than a ped scramble and just give all of the pedestrians a guaranteed opportunity to cross the street without competing with right-turning cars. And the, the right-turning motorists had been waiting through the cycle because they couldn't turn on the red, which meant the moment the light turned green, motorists are, are racing to get through the intersection to turn right in, on Union Station and get onto the freeway as pedestrians are trying to cross to catch the buses. Mm-hmm. So that's called engineered conflict. And when we get to talk about engineered conflict, that by design this is how it works, and it comes at the expense of the humans that aren't wrapped in steel. And right. so that's engineered conflict that we could, you know, take a look at number nine. We have the right to roadway planning based on science, data, innovations, industry innovations, and emerging technology. So why don't we have a better intersection? And the reason we don't have it is because we didn't ask for it. And the reason we didn't ask for it is because we didn't know about it. And the reason we didn't know about it is because we didn't think we had the right. Oh, my goodness. I said the word right. <laughs> so let's, you know, so in other words, this is a great conversation and the aha moments people have um, in the neighborhood councils is when we get to talk about things. And I don't begin to suggest that we all agree on everything. I mean, Lucas and I ride different kinds of bikes, and then you have a crazy bike. Yeah, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's not that. It's pretty functional. It's totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that, um, what's that? If you want to get around, I mean, it's a pretty good bike. <laughs> no, I, I, so why don't you tell them what you ride? 
It's a, f- a folding bike. It's a Brompton. Yeah. It's pretty good for taking on the metro. So I you never three metros to work. So yeah. It was tough with the, you know, the non-folding bike. And so you never have to uh, worry about riding it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you never have to worry about bike parking because you just pick it up and carry it around. Yeah. And I never have to worry about it getting stolen unless yeah. somebody's really quick. And then the other thing is, um, one of the things that was frustrating about uh, some of the busier routes on, on uh, transit was uh, when you see the bus arrive and it's already got two bikes on. Yeah. And like, oh, what another cycle. And so, um, yeah, with you, you can just carry it on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I think that we um, we all have uh, a, v- a wide range of uh, attitudes and opinions on many things. But I think that um, the Mobility Bill of Rights is the opportunity to figure out what are the things we agree on and uh, what are the things that we can share commitment to. And then from there, we can figure out what's the best solution for a particular neighborhood or a particular you know community or a particular situation, um, particular opportunity. And it may not be the that, – and that might be the conversation that, that gets really interesting. Anyway, Lucas, um, that's the Mobility Bill of Rights. One month from now, you'll be the Mobility Bill of Rights champion. Czar. Czar. And uh, you'll be hosting a bike talk show, subject yet to be defined, guests to yet be identified. Cool. What a what? Uh, what year are you in school? Senior year. What a senior project. That's awesome, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have a? Counselor, mentor, teacher uh, at Hollywood High that has oversight of this particular project? Yes. And who is it? Mr. Viriel. I think he's listening right now. Okay. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we do have uh, some phone numbers. So for your show, you can have folks call in um, if you'd like. And uh, so is he going to be – would he be, be a good guest? Um, I'm not sure. He doesn't bike. Well, there's the rules, though. He's going to have to ride his bike all the way to KPFK. (laughs) Well, he could call in. Yeah. Oh, and then sit on a stationary bike at home. Yeah. (laughs) You have to be on a bike. (laughs) (laughs) No, there are a couple teachers that bike to school. They might be good guests Uh to have on. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And then during the course of the month, you'll obviously – you may or may not meet some folks, or you may be able to engage some folks at school to uh, join you on a local project. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity for uh, some infrastructure that's going to present itself to you, whether it's close to where you live or the route that you take. Um, Fairfax is kind of narrow, isn't it? It's, um, well, there's a bike lane on Fairfax that starts from Hollywood Boulevard and then ends on Melrose. Okay. So it's it's not it's in traffic, it's a bike lane, but then it starts getting really narrow and rugged and yeah. it yeah, it never it never comes back. One of the things about some of the tighter streets like Sunset Boulevard or Fairfax is um when there's a bike lane, you know, when there's a bike lane you're obligated to use it and get out of the lane, the traffic lane yeah. and move into the bike lane. But the thing is that the uh, because of the way they're tight, you're in the you're constantly in the door zone. And so yeah. I'm I'm hesitant to go beyond the outside paint into the bike lane. Like I, I get right on the edge. Well, yeah, they have this. They have a, the just 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 a section of that bike lane has um, some white paint on the outside of the box. So mm-hmm. if a door comes out, you can just go in. Oh, cool! And it's just just this no man's land, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um. Well, I hope you meet some fun folks this month, and I hope you enjoy the journey. Um, they say the journey is more important than the uh, destination. Do you believe that? Yeah. Um, and so uh, how do you plan to document your um, your project, your journey? I think uh, pictures. I don't really have an idea. Can you give me? <laughs> well, today's, uh, today's show is going to be... Uh, released as a podcast so you'll have the bike talk podcasts uh, when we're on the road you know um you know you can collect the agendas and um you know if you do audio it would be a good perfect 
match. You could just play uh, play clips. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, put it together as an audiovisual presentation. Um, and then if you know any special effects geniuses, you could have them then. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should uh, wear some green screen outfits and do some. What do you think? Oh, this could be so creative. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so, Lucas, thanks for joining us here at KPFK. Uh, Bike Talk on KPFK. Um, and uh, Nick has been um, an essential part of the community for more than a decade with regards to giving folks an opportunity to um, a place for, to have a dialogue about activism and um, and uh, cycling in L.A. And so um, it's totally cool. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about, you know, where are the activists? Like, where's the next generation of activists? And I guess the for all that pontificating, the real answer is, well, here he is. Mm. So this is going to mm-hmm. be, this is going to be an interesting journey for us too. So, um, so thanks for joining us uh, for the next five weeks. And uh, so Nick, we'll keep you posted um, with some social on uh, our our journey. And also, it would be cool if folks could join us uh, at the neighbor council meetings or the advocacy groups. And um, if you. You know, if nothing else, you know, Nick might buy you some food here in uh, this neck of the woods. Yeah, more more fries. More fries for everybody. Where's the schedule going to be then? Um, I'll give it to you after the show, and you can post it uh, on... Bike Talk on Facebook or yeah. Twitter or something? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, David. All right. Thanks, so Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks for joining us, and uh, look forward to the ride. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.